Hello everyone and welcome to this second session in the six-part audio series that comes from a mindfulness course, Intimacy with Nature and Our Own Inner Wildness, that was hosted by the Adventure Syndicate. In this session, we explore how our hearts and souls get domesticated. We talk about the cultural quelling of the free and wild spirit and body which then wakes up this call in us to adventure. We also talk about the importance of expanding our window of tolerance and connecting with our own natural wildness. Enjoy. Here we are, hosted by the Adventure Syndicate. We are going to talk about the domestication of our heart and soul. So here's my question for you tonight. Did we domesticate our heart and soul when we moved into houses with central heating and full calendars? Did we try taming this heart and soul uh, and forget that by nature, the heart and soul, they are wild and unbounded and they don't want to be tamed. And when we tame them, when we repress them, there will come a time, there will come a moment when they start calling out, when they start protesting. So what do I actually mean when I talk about the, the domestication of the heart and soul? Well, studies show that the average American, I don't know about the British or the Spanish or the Faroese, <laughs> uh, that the average American spends 11 hours a day on a screens. And the average American also spends 90% of all his time indoors. So here's the thing though, we humans, we evolved for millions of years completely embedded in nature. So our nervous system, our hearts, our psyche, and our soul have been completely penetrated by the natural world for millions of years. So for all these millions of years, our sense of who we are and our sense of deep belonging was connected to our natural surroundings, to the living, breathing, pulsating, ever-changing, cyclical impermanence and the power and the beauty of the natural world. And now we are spending most of our time inside and very often in, in front of a screen, in, in front of a... Uh, not, not a living being. Um, so we became Homo sapiens, we became this kind of human in our current form 200,000 years ago. But it has only been the last 10,000 years since the agricultural revolution um, when we, become we became sedentary. I'm an anthropologist, so I like to talk about these things. <laughs> so before that, we're 200,000 years old and only for 10,000 years have we been sedentary, living in the same place and living inside uh, buildings because when we were nomads, hunters and gatherers, we couldn't live inside buildings. Uh, and it's only for the last maybe two, 300 years that we have moved away from and isolated ourselves more or less completely from nature as an integral part of our life. 
unless we are a farmer, yeah? So I imagine that everyone, everyone here already has some kind of connection with nature because we're hosted by the Adventure Syndicate and that you all know, even if, even if you're not a lot out in nature, that we all know how good it feels to be outside, how being in the forest or in the mountains or even in a park or in a garden, it always lifts the spirit without us actually having to do anything special for that to happen. It just happens when we're outside. Uh, so here's what I want us to contemplate. We are nothing other than nature, even if we have this very evolved consciousness that allows us to build office blocks, computers, and smartphones. Our body and nervous system is still nature. It still needs clean water, clean air, clean food from the earth to be able to live. No different from any other living being in nature. So what we perhaps don't contemplate as a primal need equal to air, water, heat, and food, what we maybe don't think so much about is the life force itself. This is what I want to speak about. We don't contemplate this, this life, life force, as a fundamental necessity. Why? Because we can't see it and we can't touch it. And we have even lost the language to speak about it. So we don't even recognize life force uh, and we don't ever dwell on it. Um, and when we do feel it, because it's always with us, so we do feel it, because even if we've lost the words to speak about it, the life force is still here. And, and sometimes we feel it a lot more intensely than other times. It's this sense of aliveness. You can call it what you like. You know, you can call it life force. You can call it prana or chi, or you can just call it aliveness. Now, here's the thing. When we have an idea about something, then we start noticing those things. Um, so if you are taking a course in botany with a special emphasis on a special kind of flowers, you would see those flowers all the time. You would notice them uh, because your awareness would be dialed in on those flowers. Or if you want to are considering buying a, a car, let's say you want to buy a Ford Fiesta, all of a sudden you see Ford Fiestas everywhere. It's just amazing. You never noticed there, there were Ford Fiestas and now they're all over the, over, over the place. And this is how our mind works, our awareness works. Uh, so uh, getting a new car and knowing the names and properties and habitats of flowers, that's all good but it's not essential to staying alive. They are not fundamental needs. Whereas the life force on the other hand is actually a fundamental need. And we can have more or less life force depending on many things. And one of those things is actually just being aware of it. And one of the reasons that we're not aware of it is because we don't even have the language, as I said. We don't speak about life force. We used to have that. Our ancestors spoke about those things, but we've lost it. When we became civilized and, and, and modern and domesticated, we lost those words and we lost that language. Um, so some of you might be a little bit skeptical now, wondering if I'm going out on some esoteric tangent. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> it is absolutely necessary for us to, to again begin to get familiar with this life force. 
I am speaking about the true wonder. You know, I'm not speaking about something very strange. I'm just speaking about the wonder that, that, that is at work when a small, brown, pretty insignificant-looking acorn lying on the ground without any help from modern technology, it can actually turn into a full-grown, splendid oak tree with deep, thick roots plunging deep into the earth and a full crown of leaves stretching up into the sky. That's life force. That's amazing. <laughs> That's not esoteric. That's what we're speaking about. So this inherent energetic intelligent that is inherent in all living beings, this miraculous force that keeps life alive and doing its aliveness thing, it's miraculous if we pause for a moment and let ourselves truly take in the strangeness of all life, you know, producing life as different as frogs, orchids, zebras, dolphins, humans, spiders. You know, we don't take in how miraculous and totally natural at the same time that is. That's all life. It's life force just reproducing itself cyclically like that. Um, and so before I spoke about us having lost the, the words and the language to speak about these things, which all of our ancestors had a real relationship with, you know, for them, this was sacred. For all our, our ancestors, you know that uh, shamanism, for example, is the oldest religion, if you can call it a religion. And, and they say, they, they know for sure that it existed 20,000 years ago, probably existed as long as humans have existed. And it's all about life force. It's all about connecting to the life force and, and uh, moving it and using the life force. We don't do that anymore. I'm not, not trying to convert us to shamanism or any, anything. It's just that this was a natural part of all our ancestors' lives until really quite recently in human history. Um, and I want us to, to think about that uh, language actually shapes our world and it shapes not only our world, uh, that's my cat, <laughs> it shapes our experience of the world. Um, so Wittgenstein, the philosopher, he said, the limits of my language is the limit of my world. And this is just the way it is. The limits of your language is the limit of your world. So language shapes our experience of the world. So uh, what I want to do tonight is to start expanding uh, our world by using language uh, and, and our felt experience. And so what I'm getting at is this, that we all know how nurturing and uplifting it feels to our spirit just to get outside and walk, even if it's in a city. Now, just as we see Ford Fiestas everywhere, if we want to get one, we can begin to experience so much more life force if we are considering getting to know it. So if we have the, again, what we talked about the other Tuesday, about intention, attention, and attitude. So if we have the intention when we go outside for a walk, ah, oh, let me be a little bit curious. Might there be some life force here now in me? Where is it? Can I feel it? <laughs> you know, then that will start to grow. 
because you put your attention on it. Where your attention goes, energy flows. Yeah. Um, so in this way, it is completely up to us to enhance the quality of the life force that we experience. And that's what they did in the shamanic times. They manipulated life force. Life force isn't just something that is what it is. It can grow and it can fade. Uh, for example, I know several elderly couples in the Faroe Islands where as soon as one of the spouses die, died, the other, who was previously completely healthy, died as well within weeks or months. How can that happen? Because you just lose the life force. You lose the will to live and you just die. You know, so life force is something, it's not just something that is what it is. In, in a specific form or in a specific quantity. It's something we can play with. So um, this, this, it's not a fixed amount. It depends on the recipient, on how much of it you are open to. How much life force are you open to? How much of, of it you, uh, are you ready to bring alive inside of you? And how many blockages and locked compartments have been installed inside of you by all the causes and conditions of your past. You know, this to me, this is all really very, it's not, oh my God, all those closed compartments and all those blockages, oh, do I really have to go there? That's not the attitude, you remember? Intention, attention, and attitude. The attitude is, wow, how interesting. Where are my blockages? How open am I to my life force? You know, I want us to approach all of this with that curiosity and with that wonder, not like, oh, no, I don't want to do the work. It's not work, it's play. Um, so here we come back to the domestication of our heart and soul. Our hearts and soul have been domesticated and quelled and squashed and made to feel insecure and small through no fault of our own. We are to a high degree a result of our culture and upbringing, and most of us were taught to live in our heads only, um, to live a life of expectations, to live a life of anticipations, to live a life of planning, of conceptualizing, of controlling, of interpreting, analyzing, ruminating, and worrying, and we were taught to compete and to compare and to defend ourselves. This is what we have been fed just about since we were born. And we're still being fed this. I am sorry to tell you all, but none of those things create a welcoming environment for the life force. The life force doesn't like all that controlling and competing and comparing and worrying and ruminating and conceptualizing and planning and it doesn't like it. Um, this is not an environment for the life force to rush and flow vigorously through us. And our hearts, our soul and our spirit can feel the lack they know that something truly vital is actually missing. But their voices, the voices of the heart, the soul, and the spirit, they are so suppressed by our constant mental noise that we don't even know how to listen to them when they call out and they say, hey, 
We're not getting any nourishment. Have you completely forgotten about us? We don't even hear that call. And the more we don't listen, the more this gnawing dissatisfaction and unease in our life grows. Uh, and we don't even know why sometimes. Like, why, why am I not satisfied? It's just an intuitive knowing that something isn't quite right. It's like a subtle longing for something that we don't even know what is. And, uh, you know, I am speaking to you from my own experience, but I'm also speaking to you from just all the literature, all the way from, say, Jung, uh, the, the, the psychi psychiatrist, or someone like uh, Joseph Campbell, who studied all the mythologies of the world. This is, this is just, this is common to all human beings, to the human condition. So when this unease and longing becomes strong enough, strong enough, some of us feel the call to adventure. <laughs> to break out of our confinements and seek out the wild and unbounded, because that's the longing. The longing is for that wild and unboundedness. And when I say that we feel a call to adventure, this adventure looks different to everyone. I don't mean at all that we all have to sell our belongings and cycle around the world or go back to living as hunter and gatherers. The call to adventure is just as much an inner thing um, and that, that it then typically also manifests in some outer change. This is, this is true. There needs to be some kind of change. But it can actually be as simple as deciding uh, on a few things that we want to do differently to bring some new experiences into our lives. And of course, in our culture, when I say bring in new experiences into our lives, we immediately start thinking of external things like Oh, so I could take up uh, mountain biking or scuba diving or bird watching. But new experiences don't have to mean um, that kind of very, very physical activity. New experiences also arise when we change our inner configuration. You know? So this is, this is a, a, a phrase. When we change the experiencer, ourselves the experiences change. So when you change the experiencer, the experience changes. So first and foremost, I am talking about the quality of our awareness and the quality of our inner environment. That's what we're speaking about primarily. The outer environment um, can never give us more than our inner environment is prepared to receive. You know, so we can go on as many bike rides as we want. If we don't work as well on our inner environment, there will still be an effect because we are, we are engaging with nature, which is always beneficial to us. But uh, the outer environment can't give us more than our inner environment um, is prepared to receive. So just going on adventures physically outside, it will provoke change. It will make change, especially if you go on really arduous ones like like many people here. Um, but that change is going to be slower than if you also do the inner work. So Joseph Campbell, who I just mentioned before, uh, he studied all the mythologies of the, of the world. 
um, so he, he has this very famous book, um, The Hero with a Thousand Faces. And he says that this call to adventure is completely timeless. It happens to every single human being. Uh, and it is actually necessary for coming into our full wholeness. And he, he for example, he writes like this. Um, Where we had thought to travel outward, we will come to the center of our own existence. And where we had thought to be alone, we will be with all the world. I'll say that again. Where we had thought to travel outward, we will come to the center of our own existence. And where we had thought to be alone, we will be with all the world. So the whole world is inside of us. If you are silent, if you become silent and just are alone and just become present, really present, you will be with the whole world. And the same when you go out and travel outward and um, put yourself also in extreme situations with yourself, with nature, we will come to the center of our own existence. So we're talking about the outside and the inside here. So when we are out walking, running and cycling, we are surrounded by life force. You know, every tree is full of life force. Much more than when we stay inside our brick and mortar houses where there is no fresh, vibrant air and no living, breathing trees, no soil full of microbes and creepy crawlies bursting with aliveness. That's not inside our houses. But every time we step outside, we are surrounded by so much more life force. However, if we are just stuck in our head whilst we are out walking, running or biking, we will still get some benefit from the vibrancy of the outdoors, from that life force. But nowhere near what we can get if we get out of our head and into our body. Out of our analytical interpretative mind, English isn't that easy. <laughs> and into our natural raw awareness that doesn't just perceive with the eyes, ears and brain, but that perceives and takes in with the whole body. And the body doesn't only take in the outside environment. It perceives itself in the process. So what, what I'm trying to convey here is a different way of beingness a different kind of awareness and of perception. So not only am I talking about becoming aware of our natural surroundings in a new way, really expanding our awareness to take in the air, the sky, the clouds, the ground under our feet, the trees and the grass, but I am also talking about that in this kind of expanded awareness and perception, we can also start to inhabit our own bodies in a fuller way. So that this more engaged and soulful perception of life, it becomes a co-emerging of outer environment and our inner bodies. Maybe this sounds a little bit abstract, I don't know. But this is, this is what's possible. That it's not like just outside or it's not just inside. It's a co-emerging. And that's the life force, that's the aliveness. Uh, and that's where we belong. That's where we feel safe. That's where we feel peaceful and really alive. Not just a, 
uh, a, a peacefulness of, yeah, I think I'm going to go, go to sleep. I'm so peaceful. It's, it's the alert peacefulness of just belonging, of just being. And that's the wildness that we're looking for. So there's an uh, American author called Mika Mortali. He's the director of the Mindful Outdoor Leadership Program at Kripalu. It's a very renowned yoga uh, retreat training center uh, in America. And he's written a book that he calls Rewilding. And this book is not about rewilding nature, but about rewilding ourselves. And he talks about, I love this, he talks about life force deficit that we suffer from life force deficit. And there is a lot more life force flowing and vibrating and moving and swaying in the outdoors by the rivers, the oceans, the trees, in the mountains and fields, fields than inside of our houses. And he puts it like this. What we're talking about when we speak about life force deficit, he says, it is ecological boredom it's a loss of sensory stimulation from the ecosystem and life forms that our nervous system evolved with for millions of years. We evolved to be with that life force. We evolved, all our senses evolved to interact with all that ecological richness. Um, and we don't do that very much anymore. <laughs> and we don't put our awareness on it, our attention, our intention, and our attitudes when we are out in nature, because we've forgotten how to do that. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> so the prime mover and enhancer of this aliveness is what we talked about last Tuesday, the IAA, yeah? the intention, the attention, and the attitude. We are nature and we have that life force flowing through us moment by moment. But if we are stuck in our heads, mostly living in our heads, we will fill our body with stress hormones and inflammatory biomarkers and lose touch with the natural aliveness and vibrancy that is always available in the pure nature that is always, always with us wherever we are in this body. This body is also full of life force. This body has as much life force if we know how to wake it up as any other living being. So with mindfulness, we can train the perception to see in a more soulful way, in a more beautiful way. Notice what I said, train it. It's not set in stone. Nothing is set in stone. That's why when we do the uh, meditation in the beginning, and I want us to feel the vibrancy inside our hands and how it sways and lives and changes all the time. That's the only thing we can be certain of is change and impermanence. So nothing is set in stone, my cat. <laughs> I'm gonna let her out. There's a lot of life force just outside my door. Two dogs and one cat. <laughs> um, so I said that with mindfulness, we can train the perception to see in a more soulful way, 
in a more beautiful way, in a more sacred way, with more dimensionality, where we include inhabiting and embodying our whole body, living more from the full sense, from the felt sense of the body, and less from a fabricated thought that is based in our mind, in our brain. Um, we, we humans, we tend to confuse our thoughts with actual reality. What is a thought? It's this ephemeral fabricated bleep of mind energy, which, which the content of which is totally dependent on our culture, on our upbringing and our lifelong chain of causes and conditions. It's totally conditioned. It's, it's not life itself. Uh, so in our pursuit of happiness, wholeness and fulfillment, it doesn't serve us to mistake our thought world for the real experiencing of life. They are just thoughts about life. They are not life. So we need to learn to use our awareness as it was probably meant for us to be used, to expand it beyond only our thinking mind and once more start to rest in the full experience of our bodies interacting and co-creating life moment by moment with the natural world. It's that co-emerging. Um, I love what uh, uh, the German poet Rainer Maria Rilke, he said, just listen to this, this is so beautiful. If we surrendered to Earth's intelligence, we could rise up rooted. If we surrendered to Earth's intelligence, we could rise up rooted. Gives me goosebumps. <laughs> um, so I will open up for you guys to speak now. I just uh, wanted to, to say that I listened to a podcast that I heard before yesterday and it was by Krista Tippett. She has a podcast uh, or a radio station in America, a podcast called On Being. It's, it's very good. It's very existential. And she was talking about depression and she, she had like compiled various interviews she'd done over the years about depression and put them together in one podcast. And this, I had heard this before, it's with uh, Parker Palmer and he's a Quaker priest. He's a very soulful person. He's written many books and so on. And he was talking about his very, very, very deep depression. I don't, I'm not sure how long it lasted for, but he was very depressed. Like when the body, everything, you just, you can hardly get out of bed. And it's like, why even bother living? You know, he had to struggle every day with, why don't I just take my own life? That's how depressed he was. And he said, and I, of course, because of this course, I, I was like, whoa. He said, I've never tried that. I've never been depressed like that. He said, but there was like a wildness. This is the word he used. There was a wildness, the wildness of the soul that just wanted to live. Do you know? The soul is not conceptual. It doesn't care about, uh, it's not conditioned. That's what I wanted to say. Like all our thoughts and our mind is completely conditioned by our culture. Our soul is not. 
It's just pure wildness and unboundedness. And it just wants to live. It wants to unfold and it wants to flower just like nature. You know, I don't think trees get depressed. They just, they feel their purpose. They stay in their beingness and they unfold and they live by cycles. They don't get depressed when the winter comes or the autumn comes and they lose their leaves. They stay in their beingness and they still unfold and they know that spring is going to come again. Uh, I just thought it was in interesting that, that even in that very, very depressed uh, state, Parker Palmer still talks about that there was this wildness that he can, could intuit and that that kept him alive. So now I'm going to... Um, uh, no, let me, let me say a few more things. <laughs> um, because I want to speak about before... I want to speak about what I want you to practice for this next week until next uh, Tuesday when we meet. Uh, like, so how do we connect to this inner wildness? We've already spoken about it, about having an intention to actually want to connect to the life force, yeah? So how do we actually do it? One of the things that we all know, and which therefore is easy for us to do, is opening to gratitude. Opening to that gratitude for the gift of life. To let life work through you. Um, this is what Joanna Macy, she's my favorite person on the planet. She's very old now. She's in her 90s. I see somebody going like this. I'm going to interview her tomorrow <laughs> for my podcast. Yeah, <laughs> I'll just read what she says. She says, thankfulness loosens the grip of the industrial growth society by contradicting its predominant message that we are insufficient and inadequate. inadequate. These forces continually tell us that we need more, more stuff, more money, more approval, more comfort, more entertainment and distra distraction. The dissatisfaction that this breeds is profound. So gratitude is subversive and wild, wild. It makes us realize that we are sufficient. So when we're going to practice for this, these next seven days until we meet on next Tuesday, going to practice to, to, to connect to this life force, gratitude is a big part of that. When you see a tree, you connect with that tree and you go, wow, you're amazing. And you don't have to go out into the wilderness. There are trees in all the cities uh, and towns and villages. Or even if it's not a tree, there are very few trees in the Faroe Islands, for example. There's grass, there's life, there's the sky, there's the air, there's the clouds, there's the snow, you know? So when you connect, use that gratitude because gratitude is that force of, wow, I belong, you and I, we're the same. And this is also why in the meditation in the beginning, I, also, I always say, maybe we can touch into what's holding us in this moment. And I mention the humidity. You know, it's, it's, this, it's, it's this old age, the, the material, the earth, the fire, the water, and the air. And I actually mention all those four. That we are being held by that, by, by the water, by the rain, by the snow. We're made of that. We can't be without it. Wow, thank you. Thank you inside of me and thank you out there. 
the air, the breath. Thank you. Amazing. Inside me and outside there. The earth. I'm made of earth. All, all that is material in me is earth. And the fire. This body produces heat. It's warmer than the air outside. It produces heat from its own, from its own life force. It's amazing. That was all in this second session and I hope you found some inspiration in this. The third session is called What is Freedom and What Has It Got to Do With Power? And if you are interested in these kind of themes, then you might want to check out my podcast. It's called Intimacy with the World. And I speak to soulful teachers of different kinds, authors, artists and adventurers about what it really means to live a meaningful life. And you can find a link to the podcast here on the site. And lastly, if you feel a bit stuck in your life or a lack of clarity or perhaps there's a fear of stepping into your true power and maybe you feel you need to ask some deeper or bolder questions to evolve into your full potential, then you are welcome to schedule a free 25-minute one-on-one with me to see if I would be a good fit to accompany you on the journey into more wholeness and courage. So to do this, you can go to my website, which is www.doritaholm.com and there will also be a link on this site to my website. Thank you so much for listening and please carry on to session three.